Hello, and welcome to Moving Markets by Julius Baer. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Good morning. My name is Roman Canciani. I'm an investment writer at Julius Baer and your host for today's program. But before I start with the markets wrap, I would like to draw your attention to our latest Beyond Markets podcast episode, which was published yesterday, where Christian Gattiker, Head of Research, and Mark Matthews, Head of Research in Asia, talked to my colleague Helen Freer from Investment Writing about the current market environment and what it means for investors. There's also a content-wise equivalent German version available, which you can find on our Marktanalysen and Gespräche channel. All our podcasts are available on almost every platform there is, as well as the Julius Bear website and the Julius Bear Insights app. But now to the market's wrap. After week opening with higher than expected US PMI services readings weighing on the market, US markets managed to erase most of their losses throughout the session. The S&P 500 index closed finally lower by 0.2%, with three of its 11 sectors ending the day in the green. Leading sector was energy, with a plus of more than 2%, followed by tech and healthcare, both up by a little less than 0.5%. Laggards yesterday were real estate, materials and financials. The VIX index, measuring the S&P's implied volatility over the coming 30 days, closed lower again and is now trading comfortably below the 30-point mark again, which implies that the risk-on sentiment among traders has markedly increased since the beginning of the week. U.S. Treasury market yields were up following the PMI readings, with two-year yields climbing six basis points and 10 years up 12 basis points during U.S. trading hours. Overnight, there's been hardly any moves, and uh, this morning the 10-year trades at around 374. The news of the day, aside the PMI services data, was the OPEC Plus Alliance's announcement to have agreed on the biggest oil production cut since 2020, and Russia saying that it could cut its oil production by as much as 3 million barrels per day if the EU and the US proceed with a plan to cap prices. In other news, it seems that the pressure on UK Prime Minister Truss is growing further, at the Tory conference in Birmingham, she wasn't given the chance to stamp her authority on the ruling party openly, but rather she was hidden away in private meetings as her opponents worked openly against the government. Truss herself asked the party to judge her a year from now, but it remains to be seen whether she makes it that far, some said. Meanwhile, the UK Institute for Fiscal Studies said that millions more Britons will be dragged into higher rates of income tax over the coming three years, costing twice as much as Prime Minister Truss's personal tax cuts, and Fitch ratings cut the UK's credit outlook to negative from stable. Overnight, stocks in Japan and South Korea rose, and even the Hong Kong market has turned the corner almost into positive territory again, after being down considerably following its best days uh, in six months yesterday. The risk-off mood seems to carry over to European and US markets this morning too, with futures providing a sea of green across the old continent. It looks as if traders keep the faith in stocks, despite the negative impact of rising oil prices on inflation. Expected data today include Eurozone's retail sales and Spain's industrial production. We have already seen Netherlands' CPI inflation for September, which came in above the August numbers at 14.5% year-on-year, and Germany factory orders, which came in a bit on the weaker side, although last month's numbers were revised up significantly. So that's it for the market's wrap. I'm now handing over to Carson Menke, our Head of Next Generation Research, 
who will share his thoughts on silver. Please go ahead, Carson. Thank you very much, Roman, and good morning. Well, did you know that silver was is also called the devil's metal? If you want to know why, consider this week's price moves. So on Monday, prices suddenly spiked by almost 9%. Even for silver, such a day sticks out. Not only because it was the biggest one-day move in almost 14 years. Even more striking, this move primarily reflected market mechanics rather than fundamentals. So the mechanical reaction occurred because a disproportionately large number of speculative short sellers were caught on the wrong foot in the silver market. Expecting more strength of the US dollar and even higher US bond yields, they sold silver futures to benefit from a further fall in prices. As the dollar and yields reversed course uh, on Monday, some of them started to close their positions, which prompted others to do the same. So fundamentals have not changed, meanwhile. Investment demand remains the dominant driver of the silver market. Industrial silver demand in general and solar demand in particular play a much less prominent role in our view, as these demand segments do not move that much. Silver demand for solar installations accounted for roughly 3,200 tons last year, which is actually less than investors sold since spring of this year, pushing silver prices down. More importantly, solar silver demand growth trailed the installations of solar systems during the past few years, as the silver content per module has been constantly declining due to substitution and thrifting. While we project strong growth in solar installations during the next decades, we do not believe this will have a meaningful impact on the silver price as long as investors remain in the driving seat. Instead, we expect silver to maintain its close relationship with gold. Trading around $20 per ounce today, silver looks to be back in line with fundamentally justified levels. Meanwhile, Gold benefited from the same mix of a reversing US dollar and reversing US bond yields, likewise triggering short covering in the futures market and pushing prices back up above $1,700 per ounce. But neither for gold nor for silver do we believe this marks the starting point of a sustained rally, as the dollar should stay strong in the short term, while in the medium to longer term, investment demand should continue to fade. That's all from my side. Back to you. Thank you very much, Carson. And now over to Ronnie Kaufmann from our CIO strategy and investment analysis team with an update on the latest discussions within our investment committee, the Julius Baer's investment strategy setting body. Please go ahead, Ronnie. Thanks, Roman, and good morning, everyone. Well, owing to hawkish rhetoric from central banks across the globe, major risk assets have just delivered a third negative quarter in a row. September was particularly bad as the S&P 500 index just posted its worst monthly decline since March 2020, which was the time when the COVID-19 pandemic first hit. But not only in the US did September live up to its reputation as the worst month for stocks. By and large, the underwhelming results displayed by capital markets in September provide further evidence that the global liquidity contraction is starting to bite hard. On a year-on-year basis, global money supply has shrunk to minus 4.2%, notably the largest such decline in this liquidity indicator on record. To put that in context, even at the climax of the financial crisis, liquidity growth remained slightly positive. 
So one thing which continued to influence the discussions at the investment committee meeting this week was the rate sensitivity of the US economy. In fact, I should better say the surprising rate insensitivity on the other side of the pond. Very much related to that, a further discussion topic was the wealth effect, which we already briefly touched upon last week and which has been massive this year. For the record, the so-called wealth effect entails that rise and fall in asset valuations impacts private sector balance sheets and hence the real economy by influencing household consumption and or or corporate investment. As the value of global financial assets grew exponentially relative to GDP, in fact, going from three to six times in the past 30 years, we already emphasized for some time uh, that the rising sensitivity of the real economy to market volatility um, is a crucial factor to incorporate in investment decision-making. Bloomberg estimates that global equity and fixed income market capitalization lost a whopping 36 trillion US dollars this year, or over a third of global GDP. Yet, the US consumer simply does not seem to care that much this time. In fact, despite the huge hit to US household net worth, real consumer expenditures are well on track towards their long-term trend. So the calm displayed by the US consumer seems indeed to indicate insensitivity of the real economy to market volatility to a certain extent. We asked ourselves, is the wealth effect dead for good? Are Jerome Powell and his peers at other major central banks right to ignore tumbling asset prices while continuing their tightening campaigns? Well, the investment committee believes that one decisive factor is that at least 2 million workers are still missing from the labor market in the US. And so nominal wages have seen substantial support. This being said, it comes as no surprise that a strong labor market allows for a strong consumer. So to sum up, while we may have overestimated the sensitivity of the US economy to the rise in interest rates, the September meltdown in financial markets has shown us the first signs that stress is indeed building up. Once the wealth effect starts to weigh on aggregate demand, price pressures in the economy will ease more quickly. So paradoxically, this is a move in the right direction. And fortunately, this is also precisely what the Fed wants to see. In a nutshell, the bottom of this bear market is in sight. As per the IC um, consensus meaning, so we are also approaching the opportunity to remove hedges ahead of a potential year-end rally. And with that, back to you, Roman. Thank you very much, uh, Ronnie, for those uh, positive words. Well, with that, we conclude today's episode of the Moving Markets podcast. Thank you very much to our speakers and thank you all for tuning in. We do hope that you'll join us again soon. I wish you all a good day ahead. Bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information.